Growing up, Mama always said, you never know how you're going to end up. The life you have in the morning may not be the life you have when you go to bed that night. My name is Dion Lee, and this is The Way I Am Now, the podcast that shares words of wisdom and life lessons through songs and stories. A few years back, I was trolling Facebook late at night. You know those nights when you can't sleep and you just start scrolling through the news feed and stalking old friends? Well, I came across Dawn, a woman I went to high school with. We went to the Milwaukee High School of the Arts. High school was fantastic, and I remember liking Dawn very much. Our friend group was filled with pretty cool artsy-fartsy folks. What caught my attention that sleepless night was Dawn's post about being raped and her recovery. She may have shared an article. I remember not knowing what to do with that information. I had lots of thoughts about it. I know that I question why it was on Facebook, but that's my personal struggle, knowing how much to share on social media. The post made me sad. It did, however, prompt me to go to her page where I started to see who Dawn had become. She was not the artsy-fartsy girl I remembered. She was a powerful grown woman on a mission. She didn't look like a sad sack. Her page was actually full of life and positivity. I question why I wanted to share this story this month. It's not a story that I would naturally associate with the new year. But the longer I sat with it, the more I came to terms with the fact that those of us who seek change know that the only way to attain it is by having a solid mind. Don't forget the lessons we learned last season from Mama. Get your mind right. Today's story is the longest story you've heard on this podcast. I sat with Dawn for well over two hours in a Milwaukee hotel, and she shared every bit of her horrifying tale with me. It was tough to hear but I was awestruck by her ability to retell it without falling apart. I felt so privileged to be in the presence of someone who could persevere after going through that level of trauma. She reveals in her story how she did it. She takes her mental health very seriously, as we all should. I learned a lot from her. This story is one that every person should hear. Today's podcast contains violence and foul language. In 1993, I was three years out of high school, and um, I had just gotten married to a man that I had dated at the end of my high school years. And um, we were pretty young, but I was pretty anxious to get married and start a family. And I was really uh, excited. I was in college and um, I was working at a job that I really loved. I was I was a weight loss counselor and we had just moved into a new townhouse and we had met our neighbors and they were the same age as we were. And we were having backyard bar barbecues and, you know, listening to Steely Dan and just really um, enjoying being adults. It was really very exciting. One of my good friends was having uh, a birthday party. She was turning 25 and she lived in the neighborhood that uh, we had moved into. It was really, really super awesome because I was 21 and I could go to this party and I could have some drinks and, you know, first time that I was like going to a party with my husband. And that night I had to work 
and he was getting off early. And so he was going to go to this party first and I was going to meet him there. And I, I remember going home and like, I, I'm sure people can understand like when you stand in front of the mirror for the first time looking at yourself and realizing that like you're a grown up, like I'm an adult, I'm living in my own house, I'm married and I got myself all gussied up. I put on my brand new pair of, you know, express white jeans and my cute black top and I felt so joyful. When I got home from uh, from work, there was a note on the counter from my husband, and we had been teasing each other because, you know, how you get nice and skinny and fit before you get married, and then afterwards you're having barbecues and, you know, drinking lots of beer and eating all the time, and and how, you know, we really needed to get out and exercise more, and so he had decided to walk to this party, and I thought, well, if he's gonna walk to this party. I'm going to walk to this party. Um, and like I said, it was it was within the neighborhood, so it wasn't that far away. It was fall. It was um, September. And so it was cool, but not freezing outside. And it was one of my favorite times of year. I put on, you know, a light coat and, and walked out the door. And um, I decided to cut across the backyards of a couple of friends because it was closer um, and as I was as I was walking down the street, I noticed that there was a girl standing on her porch talking to a couple of young men. You know, it's one of those things where I had this like weird feeling. And you know, now now that I'm 46 years old, um, I think, oh, was that like a microaggression that you were having? Because there was these three, you know, black boys standing on a porch. And so I began to walk a little bit quicker. So I, I wasn't that far from the house that I was going to. I heard footsteps behind me and these boys were talking. I started to walk a little faster and they started to walk a little faster. And I could see the front steps of the house that I was going to. And I picked up my speed and they started running after me. And just as I reached the sidewalk that led up to the house, um, one of the boys put a gun to my back, um, told me to, you know, stop what I was doing and turn around and give him my purse. I never carried money in my purse. Like that was a thing that, that girls were taught from very young on, right? Like don't carry money in your purse. And I wasn't going anywhere that I was going to need any money. So I think I had like a dollar and a quarter in my purse. And I remember them grabbing my purse and opening it up and emptying it, like upside down, emptying it on the ground and getting really angry, like really angry that I didn't have any money. I remember thinking in my head, gosh, Dawn, if you would have just stuck 20 bucks in there, maybe they would have taken that money and left. The oldest of the three boys, he is the one who was sort of like the leader of this pack. He was making demands on the other two boys. And when I say boys, I mean, they were boys. They were 13 and 15 and 17. The oldest boy, for some reason, he took me out into the middle of the street, right in front of this house that I was supposed to be at. And the whole time is like, he's got this gun to my back and he's got me out in the street. I'm like, someone's going to come out or someone's going to come in. Like, I'm going to get saved from this situation because there's a party going on. This oldest boy told me um, to take off all my clothes in the middle of the street. I was thinking in my head, like, 
oh, this is really serious. Like, this is bad. They had me take off all my clothes and they um, actually blindfolded me with my bra. Then I'm kind of spotty on what happened next because somebody must have went and got a car because the next thing that I know, I was in the trunk of this car and being driven away. After quite a while, they stopped and pulled me out of the trunk of the car. But the whole time, they were just screaming at me and calling me names and, you know, telling me like how, you know, I was a slut and a hoe and I was going to get what I deserved. And they took me back into this alley behind these garages and they had pushed me to the ground. When they pushed me to the ground, I like I started to cry and they just, they were like, you're, we are going to kill you. Like, you need to stop crying right now or we are going to kill you. You're going to do exactly what you're told and you don't say a word. It's really hard to just like stop your emotions from happening, but it is amazing what the will to survive will do. And so I, I kind of explain it like an out-of-body experience because I stopped crying. And I remember... Like I can physically see myself being raped, like standing above myself. I've had a lot of therapy um, and that's not unusual. Uh, I just had to disassociate myself from the situation so that I could instinctually live. They proceeded to rape me, all three of them, in every way you could possibly imagine for what felt like hours. I think it ended up being like, 45 minutes to an hour long. And the oldest boy was like demanding that the middle boy um, do things that the middle boy kept saying, like, we should go. I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, let's, let's just leave. And the oldest boy was like, nope, we're, we're finishing this off. You know, in the meantime, they had injured me pretty badly. My saving grace was that a motorcycle came down the alleyway and they got spooked. The oldest boy said to the youngest boy, you need to kill her. And so I was on my hands and knees. I was just shaking and bleeding and I was like, I'm going to die. The youngest boy was shaking as well. And he kept saying like, I can't do this, man. Like, I can't do this. And the oldest boy was like, if you don't shoot her, I will shoot you. So he shot me in the back of the head. Luckily, it was a superficial wound. I did the only thing that I could think of, which was to pretend that I was dead. So I knew I wasn't. The bullet had knocked me over, um, but I knew I wasn't dead. But I was like, if I look like I'm dead, maybe they'll just leave. Because the one thing I did know is that they were scared. Like they had gotten spooked and they were scared. And they were just, they were just screaming at me like, bitch, you better be dead. We're coming back here in a half an hour. And if you're gone, we're going to come back and find you. They took off running and they shot a bunch of shots up into the air. And then they were gone. Um, and I remember like putting my hand up to the back of my head because like it hurt, but it didn't hurt like I would think being shot in the back of the head would hurt. And I was bleeding, but I... It wasn't like I wasn't gushing blood, and but I was 
pretty badly injured. So I had to figure out what I was going to do next. I was naked and hurt. I needed help. And there was no way for me to get help unless I did something to get help. I remember crawling off of this gravel driveway. I kind of like assessed, I looked around, I was hoping my clothes were around somewhere and they weren't. And kitty corner from where I was, there was a house. In the window were these blue flowered curtains. I thought, there's got to be a woman who lives there. Like, no no guy's going to put up blue flower curtains. Like, that's the house that I need to go to. I just kept repeating to myself, like, you will walk across the street. Like, you will get to that house. And I did, and I rang the doorbell, and this woman answered the door, thank God. And I just looked at her, and I said, I've been raped and shot, and I'm injured. Can you please help me? And she, like, grabbed my arm and pulled me into the house and went and grabbed her robe put her robe around me and called 911 and got me a glass of water. This is where I get emotional because I will never be more grateful um, for anything in my life than the kindness of that woman giving me a robe and a glass of water. All three boys from Dawn's story were caught and prosecuted thanks to the honesty of the young girl she mentioned early in her story. The 17-year-old was tried as an adult and received 180 years in prison. He'll be up for parole when he is 63 years old. He has been appealing his sentence for the last 25 years. The 13- and 15-year-olds were tried as minors. They were sentenced and sent to reform school in Delafield, Wisconsin. They were released when they were 21. But after uh, sort of all of that occurred, and I just, I was a mess. I was a mess. Uh, I did end up leaving my husband. I moved back in with my mom. Um, I dropped out of college. I got fired from my job because when I was there, I wasn't really present. I was drinking a lot. Um, I like literally would like get up at one o'clock and like try to occupy myself until five where I could go to a bar and drink. I was getting myself into a lot of really bad situations, partially because I think from what I know about um, people who are victims of uh, sexual assault, you kind of go one or two ways. You either like are very tentative about sex and you don't like want anything to do with it. Or you go the opposite way, which is what I did, which was where I just literally thought, well, I'm not good for anything else. This is like where my life should be because I'm completely damaged goods and I, you know, apparently this is, this is my road and uh, very not healthy. One night I was at a bar and sat next to this guy and I was talking to this guy. We were both drinking and I, I like literally said to him, well, take me home with you. And he was like, okay. And I remember walking into his house and he, we stopped at the couch and he looked at me and he said, why did you just do that? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, like, I could hurt you. Like you are in a stranger's house. We're both drunk. I could hurt you. Why did you just do that? And I don't know why, but I just told him everything. He said, I think I need to take you home. Still to this day, he's one of my very best friends. I call him my guardian angel. He took me home. We had exchanged phone numbers earlier in the night. 
Um, and for some reason, he called me the next day. Said, "I'm taking you to the mall." You're taking me to the mall, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm taking you to the mall." We got to the mall, and he took me into this really fancy dress shop, and I was like, "Daniel, what are we doing here?" Like the cheapest thing in here is like a car payment. Like we should not be in here. And he said, I want you to, I need you to try something on. And he brought me this like really fancy three piece suit and he had me go into the dressing room and try it on. And I came out of the dressing room and he put me in front of a three-way mirror and he said, what do you see? And I said, I see somebody who needs to get their life together. And he said, this is what you can be. You can be a good, productive human being with a good life. Look at yourself. And I just stood there. And in that moment, I thought, I'm going back to school. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to do something. I'm going to stop being like this. And that moment completely changed my life. And it's really funny because my mom always says, I said the same things to you and you didn't care what I said. And I was like, I don't know why. I don't know why this man just said and did the right things. And so I did. I went back to school and I got my undergrad and I got my master's degree. And um, I went on to have a pretty, pretty good career and... Um, I met a man that I will be married to for 20 years in April. He is the kindest, sweetest um, human being on the planet who loves me for every bit of baggage that I bring. I will never forget the first time that I told him. I sat him down on the couch in his living room, and there had been a really long Journal Sentinel article that had been written about what happened to me, and I handed it to him. And I had him read it. And he put the article down and he looked at me and he goes, oh, thank God. And I was like, what? And he goes, oh, I thought you were going to tell me you used to be a man. I started laughing and he said, well, this explains a lot. And I love you and I don't care about any of this. And I just like knew in my head. He made me laugh, and in the second moment, he made me feel good. I was like, oh, he's my keeper. He's the one I get. About 10 years ago, um, which would have been 15 years after everything happened, I just said, I have to do something. Like, I can't sit here and hear these stories on the news. People are being molested and assaulted and not believed and... I just thought, I can't sit here and not do anything anymore. So I joined the Wisconsin Coalition Against Sexual Assault Board and began to like really learn about sexual assault statistics and prevention, everything that I could possibly learn in an effort to be able to advocate and be an activist for survivors. I ended up getting a, a scholarship to go to the National Sexual Assault Conference. I had always said to people, like, where is our pink ribbon? Like, 
everybody knows that the pink ribbon is for breast cancer awareness. And, you know, we have April Sexual Assault Awareness Month, but people don't really talk about it. And our ribbon color is teal, but people don't even know that. And teal also stands for several other um, causes. And, and so I went to this conference and the keynote speaker was from Peace Over Violence, which is an organization in Los Angeles. And she talked about Denim Day. I just had this light bulb moment where I was like, why is this not happening in Milwaukee? Like it's non-gender based, it's risk-free, it's awareness raising, it's talks about victim blaming. We have to do something like this. Denim Day was a day that um, came about because a woman in Italy was raped by her driving instructor. He got convicted and the case was overturned by the highest Supreme Court judge saying that because she was wearing tight jeans and she had to physically remove them, that she was consenting. The Italian parliament were outraged and so they stood on the steps of the highest courts all wearing really tight jeans in protest over what happened to her. It became this day in April, and it sort of filtered its way into the States, into Los Angeles um, about 20 years ago. It just reminded me so much of all of the ways that women and men and, and people of all gender identities are treated when something really bad like this happens. And so I came back and I was all excited and I went to my board and my board was like, oh, that's really nice you should probably do that. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like I had no idea. I had never organized anything in my life. My kids were young, going to PTA meetings. I had two jobs. Like how was I going to have the time to try to organize something like this? Told my husband about it and he looked at me and he said, oh boy, you got this in your head. There's no way you're not going to do this. There's just no way. And he was right. He was absolutely right. I couldn't let it go. You know, if you know anything about community organizing, there's really only one skill that you need for community organizing, and that's persistence. Like, you have to just keep asking. To keep asking people, and you have to be okay with people telling you no, and then you ask again, and then you ask in a different way, and then you ask one more time, and then you beg, and then you ask some more, and eventually, slowly but surely... I was able to convince people that, you know, this was something we needed to talk about. And I was able to get the mayor on board and I was able to get the Office of Violence Prevention on board. Over the course of the years, took on more and more people and it became something that people in the city of Milwaukee, if you say Denim Day, they'll know what it is. And so I just, I kept going places and talking about it. Last year and the year before, we were able to get uh, jeans hung downtown for awareness raising. That was quite the feat, but we were able to do it and uh, it brought a lot of media attention to it. And we all know when things get media attention, then they really get attention because um, it reaches so many people. And then I ended up winning an award for it, which was really, really cool. When I won that award, that was five years ago, I had to do like this, this video and, you know, I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. So, you know, I've trained my whole life for this, right? She staged us and all these, like, you know, we pretended to bake in the kitchen because that was something that the, the kids really liked. And she was like trying to show how, you know, normal my family was. And it was really cute because I had 
told my kids bits and pieces, but I had never shared the full story with them. That is when I had to tell them everything. They just both looked at me and said, we are so proud of you and you are so brave. Dawn's story and her mission felt too enormous for just my voice alone, so I enlisted a choir. After you hear her song choice, you'll hear the voices of the unaccompanied minors, the a cappella group from the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles, California. So this song um, is by Sarah Bareilles, and it is brave. I'm very humbled because people will tell me how brave I am. The reason for this particular song is one of the lines is, say what you want to say and let the words fall out. I want to see you be brave. There's so much silence. I want people to be able to say what they need to say, to feel like who they are and what they're doing is really brave, because it is. When you speak up or speak out about something so traumatic that happened to you, that's really brave. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted and would like support, call 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. Know that you are not alone. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dawn, for sharing your story. Tune in next time for another life lesson. The Way I Am Now is produced by myself and Matthew Inkst, underscore by Matthew Inkst, Brave by Sarah Bareilles, sung by the unaccompanied minors, executive producer, Maylee Williams. If you're enjoying The Way I Am Now podcasts, let people know about it. You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, if you haven't subscribed, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you.